time for your first set of reactions and mechanisms. So what I've drawn here is some examples of a reaction. And I want you to focus on what are the patterns you see in this. So what is a common feature of the starting material, which is in black or pink? So we're going to call this starting material. I can also abbreviate this as SM. You have the reaction conditions, which are in blue or green. And then you have the product, which is the mix of colors. And I keep that as a mix so that you can see where things went. The first thing you should notice is that all of the starting materials are alkenes. Let me scoot this down so I can make that. The reaction conditions, you'll notice, are all acids. They're acids that contain halogens. Notice that I don't use HF. And that's because fluorine does weird stuff. So basically, until we get to, um, I think, Orgo 2, we won't even talk about fluorine when we're doing reactions. So focus on chlorine, bromine, and iodine. So your reaction conditions involve an acidic form of a halogen. In your product, where is that halogen adding? Is it Markovnikov or anti-Markovnikov? So what you should be noticing is that the products are Markovnikov. I just realized I need to double check and make sure. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, so these are all Markovnikov. The other question is, are these uh, stereoselective? These are not stereoselective. which is why I draw the connections with just, there are no wedge dashes. Once we get into stereoselective reactions, then you're gonna need to start showing um, wedge dashes. But until then, you can just draw all your reactions just straight line. The second column is similar um, reactions. You have starting material, you have, ace, you have alkenes reacting with acid halogens, halogen acids, product, you're getting Markovnikov addition of the um, halogen, and there is no stereoselectivity. So let's talk about the mechanism for this. I'll erase that. Also, these rows of the table. So I can start drawing. So let's start with mechanism. We'll do the first example, which is this plus HBr. Now notice I'm going to draw this um, with the bond extended so I can show what's happening in this mechanism. And I will try my best to color coordinate so you can tell which electrons are doing what motions. So the electrons in the alkene are gonna be black, the electrons in the um, acid are going to be blue. 
So in this particular reaction, you'll take a pair of electrons from the double bond and it will go and attack the proton. And so this is something to remember, you always wanna go from negative to positive. Always, always. And negative is relative, uh, relative. relative uh, negative can just be a lone pair of electrons. It doesn't actually have to be a negative charge. Okay, so the first step is you're gonna have that double bond attack hydrogen. In response, you're going to break the bond between the hydrogen and the bromine and do this. And note that I have double-headed arrows and the base of my arrows comes from where the electrons are coming and the head of my arrow goes, tells me where it's going to end up. This is, here, I'm gonna use a different color for my reaction arrows. So we'll use, we'll use the purple pencil for my reaction. It's an equilibrium. So the intermediate is going to be this where I've created a positive charge. What kind of carbocation is that? Is that tertiary, primary, or tertiary, secondary, primary? And I've attached a hydrogen. I also have a bromine. So you'll see me do this sometimes in shortcut if I don't feel like drawing all the lone pairs. I'll either just draw the charge and draw an arrow, or I'll draw the charge and a lone pair to show what I'm using, just to show this is the quote unquote abnormal part. Then you're gonna have this lone pair is going to attack the positive, so negative to positive. It gives me my final product, which is two bromopropane. Now, Notice I dropped the hydrogen. You know that hydrogen's still there, but hydrogens are invisible in organic chemistry, so I'm not going to draw them unless I need them. So how did I know that the hydrogen was going to go on the end and not the middle? Well, let's see what happens if I did that. So if I did, because that arrow doesn't, that arrow came from the center of the bond, so there's nothing that tells me that it has to go to the end. So if instead, I had this where the hydrogen has the middle position and I have a positive charge on the end. I would still have a Br minus. That could attack the end and give me a product that looks, oops, a product that looks like this. Well, we don't see this because of the difference in stability of the carbocation. This is more stable than the primary carbocation. So you don't see this bottom reaction. You only see the top, that's the major product. You can also consider that if you're doing this reaction, you have possibly two products, but you only see one. And I will do that in the problem video. Okay. 
let's do another reaction. This reaction we call acid catalyzed hydration. And that's because the conditions are a strong acid and H2O. You'll notice that we abbreviate it as H plus H2O. Um, so that we don't have to specify what the strong acid is. You should be noticing the same trend as before. You have your alkene, some symmetric, some asymmetric. I think they're all asymmetric. Um, your product gives you what? Is it Markovnikov or anti-Markovnikov? You should notice that it's Markovnikov addition. Again, it's all straight lines, meaning that there is, it's not stereoselective. So let's go through the mechanism for this. This involves a couple more steps, but it starts off the same way as the previous one. So again, we'll use that first reaction. Show what happens. So in the conditions of a strong acid, you have H3O plus. Now there's two ways that you can show this to me in the reaction. You can just say it's H plus and keep going. Or what I'm going to do in this case is I'm going to show the H3O plus because I'm going to need the product later. So again, you'll notice I show the bond um, extending to what's going to happen to kind of a hint of what's going to happen next. You can follow the arrows. Remember, these are all going to be so you will add the proton to the bond. You'll create a positive charge. I have. my water that I made from deprotonation. Keep in mind, I don't know what I did with that arrow. Um, you have infinite water, so you can use as much water as you need at any time. So again, you should be noticing I have, um, I've attached the water, but now I have a positive charge I need to take care of. I'm going to make this one a different color just so um, we're keeping track of everything. So this is a different water. It's going to pick up the proton. So it's giving this a positive charge. Break that bond. And you will end with the given product. And again, I'm going to drop the proton because protons are invisible. So I have this. You're also going to have this as a product, but you don't need to show this. Because this is not a product you care about. We only show the products we care about. And so that's how you get product at the bottom. In the practice video, I'll go through the rest of them so you can see how that mechanism works. Now, something we haven't touched on yet, but is something you will see, is what we call rearrangement. And so I mentioned this in the 
every once in a while I hit that button and I saw shenanigans that go, oops, nope, I got that. Um, is you can get rearrangement. And this is the trickiest part of these reactions is paying attention to whether or not you will have rearrangement. So always check when you're at your intermediate to make sure you don't have a possibility for rearrangement. So let's say we have, this is our starting material. We're going to do um, an acid, uh, addition of a halogen. Let's just say I'm just going to leave it as generic X. The way this mechanism works should be familiar to you. I'm going to abbreviate it as a forward arrow. It's an it's actually an equilibrium arrow. Um, I should draw it properly. Okay, this is a mechanism. Okay. So I will have I can have a positive charge here, and it's going to be here because remember we want to go for the most stable carbon cation. I have my, and I've added the hydrogen over here. What happens next is really funky. You can have the lone pair, or it's not the lone pair. Sorry, you can have the pair of electrons in this bond move over, and we call this a methyl shift. This does require a lot of energy, so you can only do it once. But if you do that, the benefit is you end up with a a positive charge that is now a tertiary carbon cation. You can then have your X minus add to give you your final product, your final product that is So the trick here is you have to realize that this is not the same starting material you started with because you got a methyl shift. Here's a less energetically costly way to do this. If you do this, so we're gonna use the same HX. Electrons are going to move. You might want to speed this part of the video because I can only talk as fast as I can draw. Equilibrium. I'm not going to show the hydrogen that got added. Hopefully, you know it's there. This is called a hydride shift when the hydrogen 
moves over. This is still energetically costly though, so you will only do it once. So don't go moving three or four hydrogens to get to a tertiary carbocation. You can only do one of these and you can only do methyl or hydride. You cannot do both. So if you do this, oh, I think I actually, um, in this example, I was doing an acid catalyzed hydration. So now my arrows are all messed up. Oh, okay. So now you can have the water come in. I usually wouldn't go over the charge just to make it easier on myself, but here we are. So, um, Remember, we're not done because you have to deprotonate this and make sure it's neutral before you are completely done. So I'm going to have another water from somewhere. And if you're wondering why I'm using water, that is a terrible arrow. Um, why I'm using water instead of OH minus, it's because I'm in acidic conditions. And in acidic conditions, you cannot create negative charges. That's, that's, that's the rules. Um, yeah, you don't ever want to create a negative charge in acidic conditions because it doesn't make any sense. And so that would be the product of this. Okay. All right, I'm going to do another pause, make another table of reactions, and then we'll do this again. Okay, so this reaction, again, let's look at the pattern in the table. So we're still starting with our same set of alkenes, but this time we're adding either Br2 or Cl2. Note that there is no I2 or F2. Again, we're going to ignore chlorine until we really have to deal with it, but there is no I2. So this only happens with bromines and chlorines. You'll notice that I went from having maybe easy stereochem in the starting material and having stereochem in the product. This is uh, where we talked about stereoselective. Is it anti or syn? So you end up with um, enantiomers. So you'll some, you can abbreviate this by saying plus en. That's what that says. That's plus en, not 10. Um, but you just want to make sure it's clear that the addition was, in this case, anti, because they add to opposite sides. So let's get into the mechanism. Again, I'm going to stick with the simple molecule to start with, although I am going to change the color scheme because I can. Okay, so let's say this is my starting material. I'm going to have, we'll just do generic halogen. Actually, wait, let me, I'm going to draw a different compound. One here, this. Okay, so we're going to start with generic dihalogens, either Br2 or Cl2, doesn't matter. The thing to remember is that these have three lone pairs of electrons. So in this case, this is going to be my nucleophile. Um, it's a little complicated because funny things are going to happen. So one of these lone pairs is going to attack double bond, but the double bond itself is also going to attack the dihalogen. And as a result, we'll get that. So again, this is an equilibrium. 
what this structure will look like is the color coding makes this a little slow. So you might want to speed up my talking in this. So you end up with kind of a triangle intermediate, triangle-shaped intermediate, where the halogen is bonded to both sides of the double bond. As a result, if it's asymmetric, one of the substituents is going to get forced out of plane because double bonds are always in plane. So you're going to make this intermediate. This is going to attack the less substituted carbon. I want you to think about why. The answer is almost always sterics or lepton. That's, that's our mechanism. Okay, and then what you'll see is back up here. And so you end up with your final product, which is going to be this up methyl group down halogen, up halogen. Okay. Now, in case you, it's not clear to you why it's gonna happen, I'm gonna simplify this drawing and get rid of some of the stuff on the side so you can see what's really happening. So if we take out a one and you have your dihalogen, and again, I only draw the lone pairs for the things that I need. I assume you know the rest of them are there. Equilibrium back. So what I end up with is going to be an X, this. And there are hydrogens attached to both ends. And so we are now gonna make them effectively tetrahedral. Let's put charts on. It's going to have a positive. It's going to have two long pairs. Um, okay. Usually we just draw a positive charge here because that's the part that matters. So this is going to have a positive charge. The positive charge really kind of sits in the middle. It kind of gets spread around those three atoms. So you can have this lone pair go here, depending on where that now negatively charged halogen attacks. Okay, so this is a negative charge. So it has the option of going to either, oops, that's a bad arrow. We're gonna call this A, route A, or it can go here, which we're gonna call route B. So let's explore route A first. So this is
Okay, so these are going to be my H's. What's going to end up happening is I will have. Oops, so let me change that color. I'll have a specific color. So if we're saying this is A, I don't know why I drew the arrow up there like I was going that way. But okay. This is A, this is X, this is the other X. So this is if we're going to redraw this so it's a little bit clearer. Um, if we do this, this is how that would attach. It has to come from the bottom side because there's no space on the top. So this is if we took route A. If we take route B, you effectively get the same thing. Um, you just have to draw it slightly differently. I need my green starts. So X up horizontal. Ooh, look at that horizontal. X where you have your wedge and your dash, and these are hydrogen still. So it's always going to have this anti-stereochem. You could think about this in terms of a Newman projection. Or what's happening is your x's are going to be anti to each other. Right. We're going to do another pause and bring up that table of reactions. You've got about one, two, three, four, five, six, or six more. So I'll actually stop this recording here and do the next six in a separate recording. Getting into more reactions and their mechanisms. This is going to be the reaction um, to create a halo hydrin. I'll write out what that is. So it's a halo hydrin. We think of this as adding HOX, where X is either BR or CL. Again, you don't see fluorine or iodine when you're doing this. If you follow our trends, again, we have asymmetric alkenes. Your reaction conditions are your dihalogen, water, and DMSO. DMSO is abbreviation for, this on here. So DMSO is an abbreviation for dimethyl sulfoxide. This is what we call a solvent. It's not going to have anything to do with the reaction for your purposes. I'm lying to you a little bit there, but it doesn't have any role in the reaction. It's just there so that everything is in, um, is dissolved because that's uh, affects reaction conditions. Also, your X2s tend to be gaseous, so this helps keep them in kind of contained. So the generic formula for this reaction is if you have a double bond, and this is where you need to get used to the arrows, so you'll see X2, H2O, DMSO. This is exactly the same as if I had said that this will trip people up later on if I had done X2, H2O, DMSO. So there's no specific location of the various parts. Everything just needs to be around the arrow. You'll typically see the upper one just because it takes up the space. But the general reaction you'll get is 
with um, that. And so what you want to notice is, is this Markovnikov or anti-Markovnikov? This is, um, it, or at least in terms of it's regioselective. So it is Markovnikov relative to the, uh, the alcohol, anti-relative to the halogen. This is also stereoselective and that it's anti-stereoselective. So let's do a mechanism. Let's pick, we'll do that as our generic mechanism. If I have this, it's going to start off a way that you are familiar with. I should change color. Sorry, let me change colors. It's just an X. I'll change the colors in the, on the upcoming. This is not the order it goes in. So this is um, again. You're going to see this happen where it's going to add to one side and attack. It's an equilibrium. You may want to fast forward as I draw this if you're um, watching. So let's say I don't want to go forward or backwards. It doesn't really matter. We'll go here, halogen here. It's got a positive charge. That's terrible. Hold on. I'm ashamed of whatever I just drew. Sorry, I apologize for the sneeze twice because, yeah, no, no, it happens. Okay, so this is our intermediate. You will get the, I said green is this, your OH, your water that's hanging around. is going to attack here. And if you're wondering why does it selectively attack where, think about what that intermediate will be. Okay, so this halogen kind of hops back and forth between the two carbons of the double bond. So figure out which one would be more stable. So there's that. Then you get Your H is positively charged. Oh, I took the wrong color. Um, it's going to go this way. X, you have some. Stereo chem that you need to take care of. This is where you're going to see a generic base come into play because there's a couple things that could act as base. Oh, in this case, because I'm, well, I'm in neutral condition. So my base is going to be neutral. It'll just have some kind of lone pair action. Note this is not a nucleophile because it's not trying to do a reaction, it's going after protons.
this and you'll end up with your final product where you have anti-stereochem. So the trickiest part here is that people love to drop that charge. You need to keep track of all your charges until you're completely done with the mechanism. So you, that is not something you want to shortcut. Oops. Recover. So your R, and so they should be anti to each other. This reaction that I'm going to do next is called oxymercuration reduction. You're not expected to know the names of these reactions. I do want you to know if you see certain reagents that you should do certain things. So I will do again, I will pause and I will have the table up for you in a minute. Okay, so looking at this, this is the reaction you should be able to tell me, is it anti or uh, anti-Markovnikov or Markovnikov? It's going to be Markovnikov. The product includes, turns into an alcohol. It does have stereochem when necessary. Um, you end up with the enantiomers, it doesn't have a preference. And um, yeah, it is considered anti-stereoselective. The other part of it is going to be a hydrogen. Okay, so it's so it is. It's Markovnikov, and it's anti between the OH and the H that get added. Okay. Let's go through the mechanism. Again, you may want to speed up. Uh, the recording because drawing mechanisms is really slow. I take generic asymmetric alkene. I introduce, and the thing I always um, like to remember is that if you see mercury, mercury is Markovnikov. And so I'm sure you're wondering, wait, why did she start there? The, the reaction conditions say HgOAC2. Well, what happens is OAC, OAC kind of just drifts away, just dissociates because it can. Okay, and so what happens is, again, the double bond is gonna act as the nucleophile. It's going to attack the HG. This is the nucleophile in this particular case. Again, everything's in equilibrium. What you'll have is R. And because it's a metal, weird things happen. HG. So I have dots because they're kind of partial bonds. They're not um, specific to any, they're not firm bonds, they're, they're partials. You do this, you're gonna have water in your mixture that you can deal with. It can also act as a nucleophile. It's going to attack the more substituted side 
again, you can think of this in terms of because those are partial bonds, you can think of the bond hopping back and forth between the two carbons, which one's going to be more stable. So with that, if electrons go up, where's my arrow? Equilibrium. Okay. And I'm going to shift the drawing just to make my life easier. You'll notice I do this a lot. Oh, I forgot to change colors. And again, I'm going to elongate the bond I plan to do something with. Um, you can think of this as this is just going to flip up into space. Um, I'm going to leave this in pink because it's not, it's not really going to be, it's not going to stay for very long. Okay, so you'll notice that these are anti to each other. I need my charge. Do not forget your charges. That is a big deal. It's really easy to do. You're going to have another water hanging around. Remember, you have infinite water when, I'll write like that, that's weird. So you can use as many waters as you need to do what you want to do. I have to neutralize that charge. And so once this finishes, again, equilibrium, you will have your alcohol group attached to this. Our group be up here. Now, this is the end of step one. What happens next with a sodium borohydride is complicated. You don't need to show it to me. You can simply end with your product. This is not a mechanism I typically ask you to show um, just because it's not worth it. So that's the end of that mechanism. I should also bring your attention to the fact that this reaction does not undergo rearrangement. So if you remember with our acid catalyzed hydration of an alkene, so when we did H plus and H2O, you could get methyl shifts or hydride shifts. In the case you would do this if you don't want rearrangement. So that means if you had, I don't know why I did it, but I left it like that. Um, so if you had this as your starting material, if you did H plus and H2O, you would expect to see this as your product because you would get rearrangement in the middle. If you're trying to avoid rearrangement, you would do H2OAC2, mercury acetate, acetate um, and water. If you do this, your product will be that. So there's no rearrangement in water. So this is a way to control the product of your reaction. And this is gonna be really important as you continue on in the course, you're going to want to control 
what happens and who adds there. So there's that. So what if, oh, hold on. I do that every time. I'm surprised it's gonna happen. Oh, I didn't, I forgot that the last thing I copied was that. So give me one second and I will bring back the table. All right, so this is what we call a hydroboration oxidation. You should notice that it gives you an anti-Markovnikov product, a product. It is syn stereoselective. It is syn with a hydrogen. It's an invisible hydrogen. So generally I won't draw um, the stereochem. I won't wedge dash it unless I need to really show something. All right, so this mechanism is a little bit complicated. It's got a lot of steps. So again, you might want to speed up the recording so that you can zip through. And we'll go back to our original um, black and blue combo. Now the bond. Your first step involves having BH3. Boron is really awesome in that it will do weird stuff just because it can. So you're going to get another one of these like one, two reaction steps. Equilibrium arrows. Do note that the arrow I drew shows that the bond between boron and that hydrogen will go. So the hydrogen leaves with a pair of electrons. The double bond attacks. And you end up with this as your compound. For the purposes of the rest of this mechanism, I'm going to call all of this R. And basically, what happens is that you will repeat step one until you have R, B, R2. So basically the same thing, B, R3. So you're gonna replace all hydrogens with R groups. Okay, so what happens next gets a little complicated, which is why I uh, skipped it. I'm mean, gonna one second, I need to plug in my computer. All right, so there's an intermediate step that's gonna happen here with, I'm gonna do it in purple, with the hydrogen peroxide and the base. Keep in mind, I do want you to pay attention to these reagents because you're gonna see hydrogen peroxide and you're gonna see base show up in later reactions and you need to know um, what's happening. Okay, so, I have my hydrogen peroxide. I'm going to put my base in a different color. All right, minus charge. What's going to end up happening is the base is going to do what it does best. And I should have drawn my bond line. Um, it's going to take the proton as a result. The pair of electrons in that bond are going to go here. And then everything is in equilibrium. You're going to have HOO minus, and you're going to have, what color is it? 
um, water. Now, boron loves oxygen. Super, super loves, absolutely enamored, loves oxygen. So you're going to have your boron with the three R, R groups now. And you're going to have this um, deprotonated hydrogen peroxide. And so this is me. I'm not going to show the lone pairs. I'm going to draw the arrow from the negative charge to show I know it's doing that. Because they like each other, the oxygen is going to attack the boron just because it can. So remember in organic chemistry, we do a lot of things just because it can, because at the end, it's going to make something really awesome. Again, we're going to have this. So now we have our boron that has a negative charge because it got an extra pair of electrons that it didn't have before. That is connected to oxygen. It's now a happy oxygen. Some shenanigans are going to be afoot. The lone pair between boron and one of the R groups is going to jump onto this oxygen that's directly connected to the boron. As a result, you're going to see a break in the hydrogen peroxide bond, peroxide bond. I have to. I'm gonna draw a little bit smaller. R. Now our boron is back to being neutral. Then have your oxygen, and then have the R group on the other side. And this is gonna do similar to what you saw before. So basically, oxygen has inserted itself, and you're gonna repeat this until you have three of these, so R, O, B, R, O, R. Oops, let me make the oxygens. If you know where they're coming from, but that's gonna happen again. Because you have base presence and you do not have to know the specific mechanism of how this happens, you just need to know that it is because of the OH minus, from the sodium hydroxide, you'll get further replacement where the OHs will replace the OR groups and um, give you three R O H's plus. this product. You don't have to show this. And you don't even need to show me that there's only three of these. You can just, it's just kind of assumed. That's what happens. So yeah, it's just a matter of boron and oxygen are really reactive. And so you end up with the ships. You end up with this alcohol as your product. All right. So now I forgot to mention this definition when I was going through the, um, the definitions video. But there's something called a vicinal diol. This is when you're, you have two hydroxyl groups on adjacent carbons. So this would be if you have, these are considered vicinal diols. They are also syn, oops, stereoselective typically. 
in the case of the reaction I'm going to show you. So the reaction is going to be an alkene glycol reaction. I'm not going to do the table. I'm just going to show you the reaction conditions, which are going to be osmium tetroxide followed by sodium bisulfite and H2O. Okay, please pay, pay attention to what the reagents are. These are really, really important and they are two separate steps. So it's very easy to forget that. Let's say you have an alkene. You're going to introduce osmium tetroxide. You don't have to show the mechanism for this. It's not something I'm going to ask you. I'm going to rotate my molecule just to make it a little bit easier for me to keep track of. Um, okay, oxygen, oxygen, osmium here. So this is your intermediate. Is it adds across the double bond? As a result, when you are done, you are going to have two alcohols. Obviously, this is your workup steps. This is your step two occurs in here. So this is the end of step one. You don't need to know the mechanism for this, but you do need to know that it's going to have syn addition. And you'll end up with the diol. And I will do a couple examples of this in um, <clears throat> in the problems video. But you can imagine if you have, say, this compound. If you oh, that's a terrible arrow. Like you need no space. Okay. Um, you do osmium tetroxide. You do sodium bisulfite and water. Water. Look at that arrow. You're going to end up with that as your product. So the key is to remember that the oxygen, the alcohol groups will end up on the same side. And I'm telling you this because I'm about to show you a reaction where you're going to get the opposite problem. So if you do ozonolysis, ozonolysis, your reaction conditions are start with O3, so start with ozone. Step two is going to be dimethyl sulfide. Now, do note this is not dimethyl sulfoxide, it's a different compound. There's no oxygen here. This turns alkenes into carbonyls. I'm going to show you the mechanism. I'm not going to spend too much time color coding it because I'm not going to ask you to do it, but you just need to know the product. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to color code it. I'm going to show you what happens though. So let's say you have this as your starting compound. Use ozone. This is going to get this will attack here, double headed arrow. This will attack here, which will relieve charge, you end up with 
Oh, I don't know why I drew it that way. Weird. What am I doing? Why am I having a hard time drawing right now? Oxygen, oxygen here. Um, everybody is stoked right now. It will spontaneously collapse. It's just something that it does. And you'll end up with this. Weirdly enough, it does not stop here, right? You think, okay, everybody's happy. Like someone's every, at least it's kind of happy, but the answer is no, no, it's not happy. So you're going to have lone pair from here, attack the positive charge. You have all your lone pairs here. Oop, that's a bad arrow. I don't know why it like, broke there, but yeah, so it's one arrow. You end up with this structure. Okay, this is what it looks like at the end of step one. When you do the second step, the dimethyl sulfide, I will make this slightly different just so it's a little bit easier to see. It's got a lone pair. It's going to attack one of the oxygens. You're going to break this bond. You're going to get oxygen. Some oxygen now with a minus charge, which is going to come down here. Break this bond. Now this is connected to the sulfur dimethyl. So you're going to end up with. And this is not the finest drawing I've ever done. Um, you know, with three products, you have this. You're going to have, and you're going to have this and that for this particular instance. The key thing to remember is basically my trick for this is if you have an alkene, so R1, R2, R3, R4, oops, basically split it down the middle across the double bond so you end up with a carbonyl that has R1 and R2 on it, and one that has R3 and R4 on it. The last reaction that you need to know is how do you get rid of an alkene? The conditions are specifically palladium, 25 degrees C, free atmosphere. Now, what you can do um, in H2. What you'll see in an arrow is you'll see H2 palladium. That is perfectly acceptable. That lets me know that you plan on going from an alkene to an alkane. This does have some stereochem. It is mostly syn, but not entirely. One thing I didn't um, talk about too much in depth, but it is important to know is that for all these reactions that you've done, all starting materials are achiral because of the double bond, but you can get chiral products. 
depending on if it's Markovnikov, anti-Markovnikov, SIN, anti-addition. And so scientists will use this to their advantage. We do something where we say something is enantioselective. So you can use specific reagents so that you end up with um, either the R or S final product. One of the common reagents that will do that is something called BINAP. Oops, the B. And BINAP itself is chiral. So you can have R BINAP or you can have S BINAP, depending on what the chirality of the product you want is. So if you use R BINAP, you tend to end up with an S product. If you use S BINAP, you end up with R product. All right, and that is the end of the reactions for chapter five. Hopefully you hung in there. I will make a video going through some more problems um, that will include some mechanisms, but not too many.